And tonight's song may seem a little strange, as even next week's will be as well, because it's one of those songs that balances out the real upbeat, positive type stuff. This is more of a of, of what we would call a, a definitely a realistic song, but also one that incorporates talking about suffering and persecution and hostility against us as God's people. And yet God tells His people to sing about these things. I'm just going to read this psalm, since it's only eight verses, and then we'll talk about it. Psalm 129. Oh no, you're fine. Absolutely fine. Again, we don't know who the author is here, but the psalmist writes, Since my youth they have often attacked me. Let Israel say, Since my youth they have often attacked me. I mean, think about it as a worship leader. You're going, all right, here's the first line. Since my youth, we've been often attacked. Now let's all sing about that, right? But we're going to see why God tells His people to sing about that. Since my youth, they have often attacked me. But notice, they have not defeated me. That's the key phrase of the entire psalm. If you mark your Bibles, mark, but they have not defeated me. Attacked, but not defeated. Notice, verse 3, the plowers plowed my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is just. He cuts the ropes of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be humiliated and turned back. May they be like the grass on the rooftops, which withers before one can even pull it up which cannot fill the reaper's hand or the lap of the one who gathers the grain. Those who pass by will not say, may you experience the Lord's blessing, but we pronounce a blessing on you in the name of the Lord. Many times, songs or psalms or even passages of Scripture are describing what one achieves. Here, the psalmist is describing what one survives. Think about that in your own life. That a lot of times in life, it's not about just what we achieve, it's about what we have survived. Many of you in this room, if you would be able to take the time to start contemplating and looking back over your life, you and I could begin to recall all the things that we have up to this point in our life survived. That God has brought us through. And that's why God wants His people to sing about things like this. Not because He wants us to dwell on the negative and, and those hurtful, painful times, but to understand that I'm standing right now or we're here right now because we survived it. We survived it. You see, this psalm focuses on God's deliverances in the midst of the people of Israel's 
troubles. And we could say that that's what this psalm wants us to focus on, is remembering that God will deliver His people in the midst of our troubles. It's not that we won't experience trouble. We've sung about it. The Bible talks a lot about it. Again, I bring up this verse in John 16, 33. Jesus said, Be of good courage in the world. You will have trouble and suffering, but in me you may have peace. Therefore, be of good courage. In the world is trouble and suffering, but in me you may have peace. God tells his people to sing about their persecution and suffering. Again, not to focus on the persecution and suffering necessarily, but the fact that they survived it. You think about this as far as the people of Israel goes, how even this would have been just a good reminder to them that as they, as they walked toward Jerusalem and were even able to go to the temple and to worship their God, they could begin to recall all that God has brought them through as a nation, as families, as tribes, as individuals. I think about that even in my own life. And I don't think about it enough that I stand before you tonight as the pastor of this church because God was faithful and brought me through some hard times in my life and I survived because of God. And that's what is good for us to remember. It's not just what we achieve, but what we survive. Before we get into the specifics, let me also say this about this whole idea of suffering and pain. Let's remember that the nation of Israel was born in suffering. Let's remember that the church in the book of Acts was born in suffering. And isn't it interesting that, you know, using that illustration or that metaphor, that that's exactly what, you know, women even in childbirth. They birth this wonderful life, but think about all the pain and suffering that they go through in order to give birth to something. And God is reminding us that there's something very precious, even though it's very hard and painful, about these times of suffering. Because many times, in our deepest times of pain and suffering and hard trials and all of that, things are birthed out of our lives through those times. You think of some of even the greatest secular songs, at least popular. If you were to ask the composers and artists about those songs, many of them were written out of really hard times. When you think about great songs of the faith, like It Is Well With My Soul, that song was written after that man had lost his entire family. Many of those songs that we sing, either now worship songs or old hymns or whatever, were born and birthed out of times of suffering. And so God wants us to see 
the value of it. Not that it's easy. None of us would ever choose to go through these troubles and times of suffering and all of that, but that they can be great times where where we survive and where we're delivered by God and where we are strengthened and where we grow like never before and where God can literally birth things out and through us through these painful seasons. Let's also remember, and we're going to see this in verse 3, that Jesus himself not only identified with suffering, but he experienced suffering himself. He He knows. As a human being, Jesus, the Son of God, knows what it's like to suffer. And can I say that's why he is such a, as the book of Hebrews reminds us, a faithful high priest. A sympathetic high priest. Because he has been through the abuse and the pain and the affliction and the hostility. He understands it, even from a human level. And that's why He is so able to help us and to comfort us and to be there for us and to help us through. So just like with the children of Israel in the Old Testament, so the children of God in the New Testament, God doesn't always prevent His people from going through these hard times. But what God God does promise is I'll enable you to survive it. I'll deliver you in the midst of it. And I want you to see the value of it in your life to the point where maybe some great things can be birthed through these hard seasons that you're going through. In fact, you know what? I was going to save this to the end, but I just feel impressed to do this now. Keep your finger there in Psalm 129 and go over with me to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. Maybe like no other book in the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians about Paul's ministry, Paul sort of bears his heart here in this book. And I want to begin in chapter 4. And I want us to see that, you know, even though many of us would probably consider Paul one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, maybe made more of an impact for God than anybody else, that his life was filled with suffering and trouble. We're going to even see that on Sunday in the message. Now, it never took away his joy. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks in Philippians. But he didn't have an easy life. But what he did have was a life that the flame of it could not be extinguished. No matter what the spiritual enemies tried to do to Paul, no matter what the human enemies tried to do to Paul, Paul just kept, by God, getting back up every time he was knocked down. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, we have this great spiritual treasure in these clay jars, these finite, fragile human bodies. So that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Now notice verse 8. For we are experiencing trouble on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed. You've been perplexed? But not driven to despair. 
We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are knocked down, but not destroyed. See, Paul's telling us, you're going to get knocked down. But you're not going to be defeated. You're going to get back up. The Lord is going to deliver you in the midst of your trouble. And then go over to chapter 6. And I'm just going to begin in verse 4. But as God's servants, we have commended ourselves in every way with great endurance, in persecutions, in difficulties, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in troubles, in sleepless nights, in hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by benevolence, by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by truthful teaching, by the power of God, with weapons of righteousness both for the right hand and for the left through glory and dishonor, through slander and praise, regarded as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet, see, we continue to live, as those who are scourged and yet not executed, as sorrowful but always rejoicing, as poor but making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul's life, for God is a testimony of one who was continually attacked, if you will, but never defeated. And then one other fine, final passage in 2 Corinthians. Look over at chapter 11, beginning at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I received a stoning. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent adrift in the open sea. I've been on journeys many times in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers at sea, in dangers from false brothers, in hard work and toil, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, many times without food, in cold and without enough clothing. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxious concern for all the churches. That was Paul's life. I, I don't know how these people today can get to a place where they say, if you have enough faith and you serve God, your life will be just, you know, fat, dumb, and happy, and you'll never have any problems or issues. And you'll never have any troubles or trials, and you'll be always healthy, and you'll always, you know, everything will just go fine for you. Where is that? Because it certainly wasn't Paul's life. Over and over and over, continuously, Paul is saying to us, I was knocked down, but I got back up. I was attacked many, many times, but never defeated. And so Paul, in a sense, is giving a testimony to us of all that he survived, all that God brought him through. And that should bring praise and glory to the Lord. Because on this earth, we will have 
terrible times of trouble and suffering. And even as Nicole reminded us tonight, I mean, that tragedy in Las Vegas, and and folks, unfortunately, it's not going to end there. The Bible tells us we live in very perilous times. And the violence and the cruelty and the hatred and the hatefulness will continue to increase until Jesus comes. You and I are called to be survivors. And to realize we are headed to a much better place. And no matter how many times we get knocked down by our spiritual enemy or by physical enemies, we are to get right back up because God doesn't want anything to defeat us. He wants to show us that we can survive anything and that he will deliver us in and through the midst of all of our troubles and that in Christ, even though in the world we will have trouble and suffering, in Christ we can always have peace. Always. Which is why we need to remain connected to the Lord Jesus every day. So back to Psalm 129. That's why this is such a great psalm. Because on the surface, it might go, oh, that's a bummer, you know. But when you think about what the psalmist is expressing from their heart, it's powerful. So let's look at verse 1. Since my youth, he's talking about the fact that he's always had these ever-present adversaries in his life, even from the time they were young. It was like, He had challenges. He had opposition. He had adversity. He had people who were against him. It was like a salmon swimming upstream. I'm trying to go this way, and I've got people coming at me the opposite way. Since my youth, they have often attacked me. The word attacked here means to be shown hostility. And then, again, I I just... Then, you know, the worship leader will say, so let's all sing about that. Let Israel say, you know, but here, here's another point. Why does the psalmist declare, well, since my youth, they've attacked me, but now let's let all Israel say, because just like in the New Testament, in the body of Christ, when you attack one of us, you attack what? All of us. See, that's the way it's supposed to be. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is rejoicing, we all rejoice with them. We're all in this together. That's the way God wants His people to be. We are in this with each other. And we are in through thick and thin. And we're going to stick in there with each other through it all. And so when one is attacked, we're all attacked. You see. That's why He says... Since my youth, they've attacked me, but let all Israel say. And then he repeats it for emphasis, verse 2. Since my youth, they have often attacked me. They have often afflicted and oppressed me. But here's the key verse or key phrase of the entire song. But they have not defeated me. They will not ultimately succeed over or against me. I will not be utterly defeated. I may be knocked down, but I will not be defeated. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I know so many times in life, we can feel pretty defeated. But God wants us to see in the midst of, of those troubled times, we're not going to be down forever. I mean, look at what God did with Elijah. Elijah, the great prophet of God that God used in tremendous ways, brought down fire from heaven, and yet that man was ready to, to just sink into depression and just said, God, take my life. And God said, oh no, I got more planned for you. I'm going to personally minister to you, and I'm going to get you back up and strengthen you again because i got more for you to do. Think of Jonah. Jonah tried to run from God. I don't even want to be part of your will, God, if that's what your will is. And God chased after him and, and, and just kept working with Jonah because he did not want or any of his servants to be defeated, whether it's by the world, the flesh, or the devil. You and I do not have to be defeated. Now, notice in verse 3, a very graphic metaphor, isn't it? The plowers plowed my back. Literally, it means they engraved, they cut into my back. They made their furrows long. Literally, they made their impression deep. I mean, I don't know about you, but that sort of sends chills up my back. Keep your finger there and go to the book of Isaiah. Some of you think we're going to Isaiah 53, but we're not. We're going just a few chapters before that to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. Notice what this says. I think this is speaking about the coming Messiah. I offered my back to those who attacked, my jaws to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. And then obviously we know Isaiah 53. By his stripes, we are healed. See, I think this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also think it's a reminder, especially to the Jewish people of their history, because throughout their history, when they were enslaved, this happened to them in Egypt. This happened to them in Babylon. This happened to them in Assyria. This happened to them over and over again, where they were in captivity to some foreign power and they were whipped and they were scourged. And those, those whips would literally go into the back and make a deep impression. I think some of you probably remember this. When Jesus was scourged, the device that the Romans would use was called a flagrum. It was literally a, a whip that had a, a handle on it and then it would go out and it would have like 10 to 15 sort of leather straps attached to that wooden handle. And on the straps, they would then attach pieces of sharp, jagged, rugged glass or bone or some type of metal that would literally go into the back and literally rip out 
chunks of flesh from the person's back that was being scourged. It wasn't just like stripes as we think. It was literally making the back of our Lord Jesus look like ground hamburger. And yet, this is a reminder. They didn't get the best of Jesus. They thought they won. They thought he was defeated. They thought they had power over him. Not only when they scourged him and they pulled out his beard and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they nailed him to the cross and they put him into that grave, but three days later, by the power of God, he rose. And God wants us to see that in Him, no matter what our enemies do to us, no matter what our adversaries do to us, no matter what trouble or suffering or trial or anything that we go through, that the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us, in me, you will never be defeated. You will have victory. And because I went through all that I went through, there is nobody better that can help any of us get through those seasons of suffering and trouble and trial like Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs in Him to bear. And that's what the psalm is reminding us of. The great pain that the Israelites went through, but they survived. In fact, they not only survived, they thrived. Every time that God's enemies tried to destroy the people of God, they prospered even more. They prospered even more. Then verse 5 takes a little bit of a turn This is what in the Old Testament is called imprecations or an imprecatory passage or verses. And it's literally calling down sort of a curse on others. Now, why some even great Christians and even great Bible teachers and and pastors and whatnot have had trouble with passages like this in the Old Testament is they sort of cringe and shrink from these and go, they shouldn't even, you know, be in there and we shouldn't even look at them and study them. They're, they're cruel. Because they're looking at it from a wrong perspective. They're thinking that just like in this instance, the psalmist is, is being vindictive here. That the psalmist is seeking revenge against his enemies. And that's not at all, if you look at this, what the psalmist is doing. He is actually taking up the honor for God himself. As we talked about last week, we as God's loyal followers should have a profound respect for God. Therefore, if God in any way is attacked, that should cause us to rise up. And even God said, if you go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant in the book of Genesis chapter 12, what's God say to Abraham? He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will what? Curse those who curse you. So God, in a sense, set it up right there. God says, if, if you're not going to work for me, then you're going to be against me. 
And so notice what the psalmist says. May all who hate Zion be humiliated and turned back. Why Zion? Why Zion? Because Zion is God's mountain. Not only that, look over to a verse we're going to look at in a couple weeks at Psalm 132, verse 13. Notice what this says about Zion. Psalm 132, 13, Certainly the Lord has chosen Zion. He decided to make it His what? Home. So the psalmist is saying, if you hate Zion, you hate God's mountain, you hate God's home, therefore you hate God. Therefore, I hope that you get humiliated. I hope that you are confounded. I hope that you are disappointed in all of your plans and that you are turned back, that you are driven back, that you go retreat. Because I'm taking up the honor, if you will, for God here, is what the psalmist is saying. Because one who's on God's side would never hate Zion. That's God's home. And God has plans still for Zion. Let's not forget in prophecy, in the book of Zechariah, the Bible tells us that in the second coming, when Jesus comes to earth to rule and reign, He will literally set His feet on the Mount of Olives. Right there, outside of Jerusalem, in Zion. And then he says something that they would have been very familiar with in those days. A lot of them had these home structures that literally to provide sort of shade and comfort for them. In fact, a lot of times they would go up during the day or in the, in the morning and in the cool of the evening and they would actually sit on their roof. So a lot of times grass would grow up there. And notice what he says, May they be like the grass on the rooftops, which withers before one can even pull it up. It dries up. It fails. He's talking about a shortness of life or success. I don't want them to succeed, God, because they're against you and they're working against you and your people. He says, I also want them to be So that, verse 7, they cannot fill the reaper's hand or the lap of the one who gathers the grain. In other words, the reapers are going to go out and, and they're hoping to gather a harvest and to be furnished and supplied by what they have planted. And he's saying, I I hope that they're disappointed when they go out and they have nothing to show for their efforts. Nothing to satisfy, nothing to fulfill when they gather that. Because they're not working for God, they're working against God. And then in verse 8, he says, Those who pass by will not say, May you experience the Lord's blessing. In other words, I'm not going to bless them. Why would I ask God's blessing on them if they're working against God and working against God's people? It's the same principle in the New Testament book of 3 John when John says, If somebody comes to your door, and they're spreading false teaching, don't even invite them into your home, and don't wish them a good day. Why do you want them to have a good day? To go out and make converts to their false religion? No, you don't want them to succeed. 
You don't want them to have anything to show for their efforts. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying here. But then he ends on a positive note. It's not like I'm not going to pronounce a blessing on anyone. He looks around and says, oh, but now here's some of the people of God. And he says, we pronounce a blessing on you in the name of the Lord. What a powerful thing, by the way. And that's what I want to end with tonight. By the way, the, the words pronounce a blessing literally means to kneel before our God, requesting the favor of God upon something or someone. And it's something that I think we have lost in our modern day Christianity. You see, I think God gives us the power to bless and to ask Him to bless others. It's something that we should do on a pretty regular basis. I mean, in fact, we could get up every day and say, God, who can I bless today? Who do you want me to bless today? Or who can I even, who can I even contact and, and, and say, I, I, I want you to be blessed today? I'm requesting God's favor upon you and your life and your efforts today. That's powerful. So I'd like us to think about that as we almost wrap it up. Because maybe for the next couple of days, maybe there's somebody that you go, you know what? I'm going to bless somebody. And, and obviously we can bless people by the deeds and the actions and things that we do, but we can also bless them with words. We can pronounce a blessing over a person. Who would that be that God wants you to request the favor of God upon? But before we leave tonight and close in prayer, I just want to encourage you all with this. There's not a one of us in this room that's not going to, at times in our life, be often, often knocked down and attacked. But God says, in me, you never have to be defeated. Remember what he says in verse 4, the Lord is just. And what he means by that is, the Lord is righteous, the Lord is dependable, the Lord is reliable, the Lord is trustworthy. He'll be there for you. His word will, will be, ring true. You can trust him to bring you through all of the attacks and all of the trouble and all of the trials and all of the struggles. From my youth, they have often attacked me, but they have not defeated me. Keep that phrase in your minds and your hearts tonight as you lie down to go to sleep and as you wake up tomorrow morning. In Jesus Christ, nothing can defeat us. Let's pray. God, thank you for these great reminders. That God, again, it's not about dwelling on our painful past, but it's about being reminded that we're survivors. That much of our life isn't necessarily about what we accomplished, but what we survived. What we came through. God, I even think about that in our own country right now with those people that survived in Las Vegas. 
God, we're going to be attacked. There's going to be hostility shown against us at times. There's going to be affliction and adversity and opposition, but God, it doesn't have to defeat us. So help us, Lord, in you to remain strong. And that when we get knocked down, just like Paul, we get back up every time. God, thank you for this great reminder. Because, Lord, it certainly gives us a lot of great proof and great evidence and a great testimony, a great catalog of of events in our life to be able to worship you even more. Because as we recall all the things that you've brought us through and all the things that we've survived, God, how can we not fall down and worship you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us? God, may that be true in our life tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.